Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Catch, Hook, and Shoot. Today is July 24th. I know I'm putting the uh, show up a couple days late this week. Sorry about that. Having a little bit of technical issues over the weekend, but everything's squared away, so it's all good. Uh, again, thank you to everybody who, uh, who checks out the show, who downloads the podcast, checks out the YouTube videos. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Like always, please you know, like, share, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, anybody you know who likes wrestling, please, you know, share the show with them, trying to grow it as much as I possibly can. Um, make sure you're following on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, um, all of those. You can just search Catch, Hook, Shoot, and you, uh, you'll you be able to find the show. If you ever want to shoot me an email, uh, yeah, anything you, uh, you want to ask, any ideas, something you'd like to see me talk about on the show, email is catchhookshoot at gmail.com. Uh, and of course you can find the podcast on Podbean, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, uh, YouTube, pretty much anywhere you get your, uh, your podcast, you'll be able to find it. Like I said, just search catch hook shoot. So, uh, some interesting stuff going on in the, uh, uh, wrestling world this week. Of course, anybody who saw Raw last night saw Stephanie McMahon make the, uh, the big announcement of the all women's pay-per-view coming up on October the 28th called Evolution. Uh, definitely a huge step for the women's division. Um, from what they were saying, they're going to be defending all three women's titles at the show, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, uh, as well as having the finals of the May Young tournament. Um, supposedly, there's going to be some uh, some former quote unquote divas there, um, along with the current uh, crop of female superstars. I'm assuming from all three shows, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, you'll probably see some of the indie performers that are on the uh, the May Young tournament uh, on the show too. And, uh, yeah, I'm thinking, thinking it should be a very good show. Obviously, Ronda Rousey's going to be there. Uh, so I'm definitely definitely looking forward to checking that out. Should be uh, should be a great show. Most of the, uh, the female performers in WWE are fantastic in the ring. So it'll definitely be one to watch. Uh, and, of course, also, again, from, uh, from Raw last night, we saw Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley. Uh, another match for the number one contendership for the Universal Championship. And, of course, it was uh, Roman Reigns came out on top, so he'll be challenging Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping this is the last match for these two. I mean, if you know if Brock's done in WWE, then just put the title on Roman. Um, you know, there's always a possibility of Braun Strowman coming out and getting involved one way or another since he's got the Money in the Bank briefcase. But then again, he is defending that briefcase at SummerSlam against Kevin Owens. And uh, if Braun should happen to lose, however that may be, count out DQ, pin submission, he loses a briefcase. So Kevin Owens may come come out with the uh, the briefcase by the end of the night and come out and take the title off of Roman if he happens to beat Brock. So who knows? It, uh, you know, I, I mean, they're definitely trying to put some interesting spins on it. I personally was really hoping to see Bobby Lashley against Brock Lesnar. This is probably the last uh, last opportunity we would have had to see that matchup in the WWE. And so apparently it's uh, not meant to be, which kind of sucks, but it is what it is. You know, Roman's quote-unquote the guy, so he's uh, I'm would not surprise me at all to see him come out with the Universal Championship for at least a few seconds at, uh, at SummerSlam and then possibly a cash-in by either Strowman or, or Owens just to kind of... Uh, to kind of satisfy the crowd, I guess, because I think management in WWE is painfully aware if Roman wins the, the Universal title and that's the end of the show, fans are going to go ballistic and you, you may end up having a riot on your hands, uh, which is unfortunate because I've said many times, you know, I like Roman Reigns. I have nothing against him. Uh, I think he 
you know, he definitely makes a uh, good champion. He's a good face for the company. So, uh, you know, it's uh, really kind of sad that uh, just a small cross-section of fans hate on him so much and tend to kind of take over pay-per-views and TV anytime he wrestles. So, uh, yeah, again, have to see how that one comes out. But I'm definitely not expecting Brock Lesnar to hold on to the Universal title past SummerSlam at all. Um, of course, we've got SmackDown coming up tonight. Uh, they're going to be announcing AJ Styles' opponent for SummerSlam. Uh, I'm thinking it's probably going to be Samoa Joe. I mean, uh, they've been, you know, kind of dropping hints. Joe's just been coming out and beating people down the last couple weeks. Uh, and, of course, AJ and Joe have never had a bad match, especially against each other. So uh, it'll be great to see them, the two of them, going at it at SummerSlam. So I'm hoping that's, uh, that's the direction they go. That's what all the signs are pointing to, so we'll find out for sure tonight. And, uh, of course, with the SmackDown tag team picture, they're doing a, a, a four-team tournament to determine the number one contender for the Bludgeon Brothers for SummerSlam, and I guess that's going to kick off tonight. Uh, of course, over the weekend, TNA had their uh, their latest pay-per-view, Slamversary. Uh, big news coming out of there. Brian Cage is a new X-Division champion, which is uh, I think is awesome. Brian Cage is a, a great talent. Um, you know, it's definitely about time he, uh, got, uh, you know, got a major title. So definitely congratulations to Brian Cage. Um, also new, uh, six-man tag team champions from Ring of Honor, uh, Bullet Club, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks, the new Ring of Honor six-man tag team champs. Um, yeah, Nick Aldis is still the NWA champion. He had a title defense, um, against, uh, Flip Gordon. But, uh, of course, you know, Flip didn't uh, didn't come away with the title. So, uh, according to the all-in Twitter page and everything, he is all out. So, I uh, have to see if he can find another way to get uh, get himself on the show. Uh, also, NXT coming up tomorrow night. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler here, but I think pretty much everybody's seen this already. I mean, WWE actually put it up on their own website themselves. Um, but uh, Tommaso Ciampa... Uh, defeated Aleister Black for the NXT Championship, and uh, apparently they have set up a triple threat match for uh, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn for the NXT title, and it's going to be Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, and Aleister Black. Should be a ridiculous match. I mean, Gargano and Ciampa have put on, you know, five-star main events the last time that they fought each other. You throw Aleister Black into the mix, it's just going to make it that much better. It's just three phenomenal performers getting getting ready to go at it in there so that should uh should be a lot of fun and as usual i'm you know just based on this one match i'm kind of looking forward to uh nxt a little bit more than SummerSlam. so we'll have to see how the uh, final cards shake out though there's still uh, quite a few weeks ago before either one of those shows so have to see how everything shapes up so the topic i'm covering on the show this week is uh something uh, very near and dear to my own heart and that's the history of the four horsemen uh, my opinion the absolute greatest faction in the history of professional wrestling you know anything that's uh, been done by whether it's bullet club nwo degeneration x evolution uh, name a faction the the horsemen probably did it first um, you know of course they started back in uh, 1985 the original four horsemen were rick flair arn anderson ole anderson tully blanchard with the manager jj dillon um Flair and the Andersons kind of came together. Their storyline cousins, all of them. Of course, the uh, the Andersons, known as the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, going way back in the history of wrestling, uh, back to Lars Anderson and Gene Anderson, and of course Ole and uh, Arn was the 
uh, the fourth uh, Anderson cousin or brother to be brought in. And, uh, you know, when they, they all kind of, all four of them kind of made their way to Crockett Promotions. And uh, kinda, it was originally kind of a loose association. They just kind of helped each other out, had each other's backs. Um, Dylan was managing Tully Blanchard and just kind of ended up managing all four of them. Uh, of course, the name Four Horsemen was coined by Arn Anderson during an interview uh, when he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, no, no other group uh, or this much chaos has never been caused by this small a group since the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And uh, apparently, according to Arn, uh, Tony Schiavone was the one after the cameras were off, went up to him and said, you just named yourselves, you're the Four Horsemen. Uh, and then the name just kind of stuck, and uh, the legend just kind of grew from there. Of course, back then they were feuding with, uh, you know, all the, the top baby faces in the NWA territories at the time, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum T.A., Barry Windham, Rock and Roll Express, uh, Road Warriors. <clears throat> and this was at the time you'd see them jumping people in parking lots. I mean, they um, you can actually find the video on YouTube of uh, when they jumped Dusty Rhodes in the parking lot of uh, the Crockett Promotions offices tied his hands up to a uh, to a pickup truck in the parking lot and just took a baseball bat and smashed his hand. Of course, this was, you know, it was all kayfabe, but, you know, this was the kind of thing that you didn't really see other than from the horsemen, the, the gang mentality and just the brutal beatdowns and hurting people, just viciously putting people out for, you know, weeks or months at a time, you know, breaking arms, breaking legs, um, things like that. And it was just, at the time, it was you know, it was new, it was innovative, and I, as a kid, I hated the Four Horsemen, and that was, that was kind of the point. They were the top heels in the NWA, and, you know, so you, you were supposed to hate them. Um, then, of course, uh, fast forward a little bit to 1987, Lex Luger made his way to Crockett Promotions and kind of started making overtures to the Horsemen, said he wanted to be a Horseman, and things like that, and they brought him on as, uh, as an associate, not a full-fledged Horseman at that time. And uh, around the same time, uh, Ole Anderson kind of started getting pushed to the back. They were kind of leaving him out of stuff in uh, interviews and things like that. And, uh, you know, it was because he was, was kind of made the scapegoat for uh, he and Arn losing the uh, tag team titles at Starcade 86. So that's kind of when he started getting pushed to the side. And then apparently he, uh, he missed a, a date because he went to see his son wrestle in a, a tournament. And... Uh, you know, of course, it was on. It was on TV. They were, uh, you know, talking in the locker room, and Tully Blanchard uh, said something about, you know, he had to go see a snot-nosed kid, something like that. And next thing you know, the uh, Flair, Arn, Tully, and uh, and Luger are all beaten down, beaten down Oli, and basically, you know, kicked him out of the group. And Luger, Luger was then made a full-fledged member uh, at that point. And then that's when uh, that version of the Horsemen is when you. Uh, saw the uh, the invention of the war games come to be of course brainchild of dusty roads one of my favorite all-time matches um on a side note so glad that uh, nxt brought it back at least in some shape or form uh, i know it's a little bit different they use the the three teams of three men like they did in the very last war games in wcw and there's uh, there's no top on the cage um but you know at least it's something hopefully you know maybe it'll evolve a little bit i'm sure they got a lot of feedback i'm so they got a lot of negative feedback about not having the top on the cage and uh, it not being submission or surrender and having the referee inside the ring and stuff like that. So who knows? We'll have to see what kind of tweaks they make to it this year because they have already announced there will be uh, another NXT War Games takeover. So 
we'll see uh, see if it works the same way. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, and typically in the in the war games back in '87, uh, like I was saying, the uh, the first set of war games matches that they that they had was against Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, um, the Road Warriors, and Paul Ellering. It was five against five. Uh, and of course, on the horseman side, you had the four horsemen: Flair, Arn, Tully, and Luger, and J.J. Dillon. Uh, the very first War Games match, J.J. Dillon actually ended up uh, with a separated shoulder because uh, the uh, Road Warriors tried to do their Doomsday Device finisher, but of course with the top on the cage, they weren't able to hoist him up quite as high. Uh, Animal wasn't able to fully get him on his shoulders. He had him up in more of almost like a back suplex position. Um, when Hawk came off and hit him, he didn't get the full rotation and came down straight on his shoulder, separated the shoulder, and uh, he was actually out for the remainder of the War Games that particular year and uh, was replaced by a masked wrestler called the War Machine who's actually Ray Trailer, better known as the Big Boss Man. So uh, yeah, uh, again, just a lot of innovative stuff going on uh, in the early days of the Horsemen. Um, so move on a little bit further, Lex Luger's the United States Champion, he's fighting Dusty Rhodes at Starrcade 87 which was here in Chicago. Um, in a steel cage match. Uh, in the course of that match, J.J. Dillon tried to help Luger out uh, through a steel chair over the top of the cage uh, as Luger was leaning down to pick it up. Of course, Dusty grabbed him, DDT'd him on the, uh, onto the chair and won the United States title at that point. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for Luger. Um, it was shortly after that, you know, he started blaming J.J. For losing the title and uh, once they got to the bunkhouse stampedes that year for those who don't know what a bunkhouse stampede is basically a battle royal uh, like a street fight battle royal guys came you know basically dressed in street clothes you're allowed to bring whatever kind of weapons you want uh, they did multiple of these at shows uh, throughout you know the territory and uh, basically the big culmination was the final bunkhouse stampede like whoever won the most battle royals got a big trophy uh, at the end of it and it was usually always dusty roads that won um, but yeah, so during one of the bunkhouse stampedes, um, last four men in the ring were Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, J.J. Dillon, and Lex Luger, and uh, Arn and Tully kind of made an agreement, say, you know, hey, J.J.'s never won one of these, we're going to eliminate ourselves and let J.J. have this. Well, Luger didn't quite like that idea, so he tossed J.J. out of the ring, and he, uh, uh, Luger took the victory, and that was kind of also his exit from the horsemen uh, at that point. So, uh, and that's where he, after that, hooked up with uh, Barry Windham and, uh, you know, kind of kind of went, went on to feud with the Horsemen over the, uh, over the tag team titles. Uh, and, of course, at, uh, I believe it was the first, I think it was the first clash of the champions, Luger and Windham actually beat Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard for the world tag team titles. Um, in the rematch, or one of the rematches, Windham actually turned on Luger and joined the Horsemen himself. Uh, so, of course, that gives us the uh, the Horsemen grouping that went into the WWE Hall of Fame. Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Barry Windham. This, by all accounts, was the best grouping uh, in the history of the Horsemen because they actually held every major title in the NWA all at the same time. Of course, Flair was the world champion, Windham the United States champion, and Arn and Tully the tag team champions. So, I mean, it's kind of kind of hard to argue when somebody says that was the best group of all time. Uh, you know, just just take a look at the uh, look at the stats. So, uh, fast forward to uh, September 1988. The uh, Horsemen kind of kind of started to fall apart at that point. That's when Arn and Tully left Crockett Promotions. I believe it was some kind of contract dispute. Uh, 
you know, I'm sure money was involved typically is in those kind of things. Uh, and they went to WWF, um, were managed by Bobby Heenan, were known as the Brain Busters. So uh, Flair, uh, Wyndham, and Dylan were still in the NWA and Crockett Promotions. This was, wasn't WCW quite yet. Uh, and they continued to call themselves the Horsemen. They're, they kind of hinted at adding some new members like J.J. Uh, Dillon actually managed Butch Reed for a little while. Uh, Kendall Windham uh, turned on his tag team partner during a TV taping and, uh, you know, held up the four fingers, uh, kind of indicating that he was going to be part of the group, which, you know, it, it definitely would have been different. I uh, don't think it would have been as strong of a group with Butch Reed and Kendall Windham. But, you know, they, they were kind of trying to, to keep it going. But it just uh, never really, never really caught on. They, neither one of them was ever made an official member of the Horsemen. Uh, and then, of course, in uh, 1989, J.J. Dillon left Crockett Promotions and took a front office job in uh, in the WWF. At that point, uh, Flair and Wyndham stopped using the Horseman name, and uh, Hiro Matsuda actually took over as their manager, and they started referring to themselves as the Yamasaki Corporation. Uh, and of course, other other people involved. Uh, at the time where uh, uh, Michael Hayes was part of it. There were, you know, a few other guys that were uh, involved in the, the Yamasaki Corporation. Uh, and, of course, they had feuds with the, you know, big baby faces of the time, Lex Luger, Sting, Ricky Steamboat, Eddie Gilbert. Um, shortly thereafter, though, Barry Wyndham did lose the U.S. title and uh, left for WWF himself. Uh, this is at the time he was called the Widowmaker. Um, not really... A gimmick, he just you know, kind of his normal, uh, normal persona is just they kind of just put that tag on him, called him the the Widowmaker. Um, Kendall Windham kind of was dropped to a uh, what you would call an enhancement talent. Michael Hayes uh, started the Freebirds back up, so that kind of uh, and Hiro Matsuda left WCW, so that was kind of the end of the Yamasaki Corporation. And uh, Ric Flair at that point was kind of kind of a loner. Um, interesting note at this time, um, of course, you had Arden Tully as the Brain Busters were already in WWF. Barry Windham made the jump and became the Widowmaker. J.J. Dillon was working in the WWF front office. Uh, and around this time, there was a lot of speculation that Ric Flair wasn't happy uh, with WCW anymore, was looking to possibly make a jump. Uh, there, there was a lot, of, a lot of rumors swirling that he was going to show up in WWF and reform the horsemen there. I mean, you know, four out of five of them were already there. So if uh, Flair would have made that jump, I mean, Vince would have been crazy not to uh, reform the Horsemen as a group in WWF at that time. But, uh, of course, Flair stayed in WCW for a couple more years after that, so we never really got to see that uh, uh, formation of the Horsemen in the WWF, which is which is kind of kind of a shame. I think I would have loved to see them on that big of a stage. I think uh, wrestling fans everywhere... Um, you know, knew who the Horsemen were, even if you were primarily a WWF fan. Uh, everybody knew who the Four Horsemen were. Everybody knew who Ric Flair was. Uh, it just would have been really cool to see them, you know, at a WrestleMania or something like that, or to just, you know, uh, come out and jump on Hogan after a title defense or something. That could, there was just so much that could have been done because, uh, you know, I mean, it's the Horsemen. You can't go wrong, especially with that particular grouping. Uh, but, again, it didn't happen, sadly enough, so all, all we can do right now is kind of uh, dream and you know think of how what it what could have been but uh, of course moving on to uh, late 1989 Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard both leave uh, WWF Arn goes back to WCW uh, hooks back up with uh, with Flair 
Uh, Tully was actually in the process of trying to get a new contract with WCW, but apparently he had failed a drug test before leaving WWF. WCW got wind of it and, uh, and pulled their offer, uh, so Tully wasn't able to return, but Arn did uh, he hook back up with Flair, Ole, and surprisingly enough, Sting to uh, create a new version of the Horsemen. And uh, this time the Horsemen were, uh, they were baby faces and they were feuding with uh, Gary Hart and his JTEX Corporation, which was uh, Terry Funk, the Great Muda, Buzz Sawyer, and a mass wrestler called Dragon Master. Um, then it was during this time that uh, they actually made a turn back to being heels, which I, I thought the Horsemen should always be heels. They were just the, the absolute best heels in the business. Uh, at the time, uh, but yeah, they uh, went back to being heels, turned on Sting because Sting, you know, would dare to challenge Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight Championship, and that was a, a big no-no. You didn't, uh, no horseman ever challenged Ric Flair. That's just uh, kind of the way it was. So, of course, uh, you know, that uh, kind of re reaffirmed the, uh, the, the horsemen of old and went on to feud with Sting, Luger, the Steiner Brothers, uh, El Gigante, uh, Again, the top baby faces in the company or what were being pushed as the top baby faces in the company. Uh, shortly thereafter was when Ole Anderson retired and uh, Barry Windham actually came back to WCW as well. Uh, was added back to the Horsemen and the, uh, the fourth Horseman at that time they added was Sid Vicious, which again, he doesn't really fit the mold of a Horseman, but you know, I... Uh, you know, obviously big, strong at that time, you know, new young guy. Uh, so kind of kind of along the same lines as well when they added Luger he was like kind of the, the hot new thing in the company so he was added and made a horseman um, this group actually lasted until 1991 uh, at that point Sid and Ric Flair both left for the WWF of course we all know uh, how that went Flair won the, uh, the world title at uh, the Royal Rumble Sid went on to feud with Hogan um, and Flair with Macho Man you know both of them did uh, did quite a Quite a bit of good stuff in uh, in WWF uh, in those days. Um, so after that, after Flair left, actually as the World Heavyweight Champion, there was uh, a cage match that year with uh, Barry Windham and Lex Luger. Of course, going into it, Windham, uh, being a horseman, was the the heel. Lex Luger was the babyface. Uh, during their match to determine a new World Heavyweight Champion, they actually called a double switch. Uh, Harley Race. Uh, acting as Luger's manager, slipped him, if I remember right, it was a roll of quarters or something like that, and he uh, used that to knock out Wyndham and uh, took the World Heavyweight title, making him a heel, and uh, Wyndham kind of the de facto babyface. And, uh, yeah, as far as Arn Anderson, he ended up forming a new tag team with Larry Zbysko, calling themselves the Enforcers, and they actually joined the Dangerous Alliance, which was, of course, Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman, uh, at the helm of that one, Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, and Steve Austin, surprisingly enough. Now, now, just think about the names in that group right there. Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, Steve Austin, and Paulie Dangerously. They, they kind of took the spot of the Horsemen because there was no Horsemen at the time. So they took that spot of the, the top heel faction in the business, uh, not just in WCW. At that time but they um, you know I just I kind of think they were people always wanted to compare them to the horsemen they never kind of got out of the horseman's shadow I think that's why a lot of people you don't hear too many people talking about the dangerous Alliance right now because it was uh, you know 
WCW and the NWA was always, you know, that was horseman territory. It had the, the Dangerous Alliance come along, I don't know, 10 years sooner. Uh, I think we'd be, you know, talking more about the Dangerous Alliance than the uh, than the Horsemen, or at least on the same level. But you know that that grouping of talent was just uh, was ridiculous, especially when you think about the stuff that uh, Steve Austin went on to do. He became the top superstar in the business just, you know, a few years after this. So, uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, Dangerous Alliance definitely was, uh, you know, a top tier group. It was just like I said, I don't think they were ever able to shake the uh, the Horsemen's shadow on uh, the WCW. Uh, then, of course, fast forward to 1993, Ric Flair comes back from WWF, uh, reforms the, the Horsemen, this time with Arn Anderson and Paul Roma, another another one that's kind of out of left field. Um, you know, Roma was, uh, I mean, he was good, he's a talented guy. Uh, WWE, he was, I'd say a mid-carter, he wasn't really an enhancement talent uh, or anything like that. Uh, he, had, of course, had a pretty successful tag team with Jim Powers called the, uh, the Young Stallions, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I like Paul Roma, I just never pictured him as uh, a horseman, this is actually considered the weakest uh, incarnation of the horsemen, um, they, at that time, were feuding with Barry Windham and the Hollywood Blondes, which was uh, uh, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, so, of course, Steve Austin's name is in, in the mix again. And um, this group actually only lasted six months. There was uh, apparently a, an incident during a European tour between Sid Vicious and Arn Anderson uh, involving a uh, stabbing of some sort. So, uh, and Paul Roma, separate from the group, formed a tag team with Paul Orndorff uh, called Pretty Wonderful, uh, which was a good tag team. They were tag team champs for a little while. So, you know, Roma definitely had a much better career in WCW <clears throat> than he did in, uh, in WWF. And I, I really think Paul Roma gets kind of a bad rap because, uh, like I said, you know, I never pictured him as a horseman. I don't hold that against him. I mean, the horsemen picked their own members at that time. So, you know, Flair and Arn obviously saw something in him. Uh, uh, who would turn down the opportunity to be to be a horseman? You know, I mean, answer me that. I don't think anybody would. Um, so, but yeah, so uh, at that point, the, the horsemen kind of split. Like I said, Roma went with Paul Orndorff. Um, and uh, Flair went on to feud with Vader over the World Heavyweight title, uh, again, kind of making him a face. Um, fast forward to 1995, Flair and Arn uh, teamed up with Vader, uh, at that time known as Big Man Vader, against, uh, against Hulk Hogan, who had just recently come to WCW. And um, after Vader lost to Hulk Hogan, um, you know, they, uh, Flair and Arn kind of turned on him and... Uh, beat him down a little bit, and then they uh, had some matches against the two of them against Vader, handicap matches when uh, Vader actually defeated Flair and Anderson. They kind of turned on each other, started uh, you know a little bit of infighting, which at the time was a radical move because you never saw the two of them on opposite sides. You never saw them uh, you know take a swing at each other or anything like that. So it was uh, that was huge news in the wrestling world at the time that Flair and Anderson were against each other. And of course, uh, Arn Anderson hooked up with Brian Pillman at this time, uh, who Pillman, of course, helped Anderson in beating Flair in some matches and stuff, and then this is when Ric Flair uh, went to Sting, actually, and literally begged him to be his tag team partner to, uh, to take on uh, Anderson and Pillman, to which Sting reluctantly agreed um, to his own detriment, unfortunately, because when the, uh, when the match finally took place, 
Uh, Flair supposedly was injured earlier in the night, so Sting went out alone against Anderson and Pillman, uh, put up a good fight. Then Flair finally made his way out to the ring, gets a hot tag, the crowd goes crazy, Flair gets in the ring and immediately jumps on Sting and just starts beating him down. And, you know, it turns out the whole thing was a plot to get the horsemen back together and just, you know, jump on uh, the top guy in the company, which was Sting. And uh, this was the point where they added, uh, as the fourth horseman, they added Chris Benoit. I uh, won't say a whole lot about him, but, uh, you know, so that uh, that to me was the last really strong grouping of the horsemen was Flair, Anderson, uh, Benoit, and Pillman. Uh, I just think it was a really, really good group. Uh, had great chemistry, but they still weren't a super cohesive unit. Most of the time you saw Benoit kind of on his own. Um, and, uh, you know, this is where they were feuding with... Uh, Hogan and Sting and Savage and Lex Luger. Uh, then, of course, 1996, Brian Pillman leaves WCW, goes to ECW, then eventually to the WWF. Uh, June of 96 is when uh, Steve McMichael was added to the group during a tag team match between Flair and Anderson versus McMichael and Kevin Green. Um, of course, McMichael turned on Kevin Green midway through the match uh, and allowed Flair and Anderson to win and uh, thus became... The, uh, the fourth member of the Horsemen. Um, and at that point, it was shortly thereafter that the, uh, the NWO was formed. And, uh, of course, that kind of automatically made every WCW wrestler a babyface, so the Horsemen kind of took up the fight uh, against the NWO. Um, fast forward to 1997, Jeff Jarrett makes his debut in WCW and, uh, you know, is making overtures to, be, to become part of the Horsemen. Ric Flair gives him his endorsement, I guess you could say. Uh, he kind of becomes the fifth horseman and uh, doesn't doesn't last very long. Uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of infighting, of course, because uh, uh, between Deborah McMichael, Steve McMichael's wife, and uh, woman who was Chris Benoit's valet and Ric Flair's valet, a lot of fighting between them, and then Deborah paying a lot of attention and protecting Jeff Jarrett and uh, basically Flair said Jarrett was causing too much trouble and kicked him out of the group. Um, then later in 97 uh, is when Arn Anderson had to retire and uh, basically gave his uh, his spot as the enforcer to uh, Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect from WWE, uh, which I, I loved at the time. I always thought Kurt Henning would have made a, a great horseman. Uh, so I, w I was really excited about this, and then uh, come War Games '97, it was the Horsemen against the NWO. Uh, it all turned out to be a, uh, a plot on the NWO's part. Henning, uh, when he came into the ring, turned on the Horsemen, helped the NWO. Um, and this was, of course, the famous spot where Henning slammed uh, Ric Flair's head in the door of the cage during the War Games match, uh, and you know, basically affirmed him himself as uh, as a mem full fledged member of the NWO. Um, and then that, uh, that September, Flair actually disbands the Four Horsemen. Uh, there was a rumor at this time, um, because Bret Hart was known to be coming into WCW, his uh, time in WWF was just about up, there were rumors going around of Bret Hart being added to the Horsemen, uh, taking Steve McMichael's place. Again, another, another person who I thought would have made a fantastic Horseman was, uh, was Bret Hart. Uh, but... Of course, that didn't happen when Hart showed up. He aligned himself with the NWO for the most part. 
never really a full-fledged member of the NWO, but he was definitely a, a heel, so he was on, on that side. Um, but had that panned out, uh, in my opinion, that would have been probably the best grouping of the uh, of the, the horsemen that you that you could have gotten, because um, it would have been Ric Flair, Chris Benoit, Bret Hart, and Kurt Henning. You know, but of course, like I said, the plans with Henning changed. He joined the NWO, and Hart uh, didn't come in until a little bit later, and ended up um, aligning with the NWO himself. Um, shortly thereafter, Ric Flair actually left WCW for a period of time. He uh, apparently missed a date to go, uh, ironically enough, the same thing as uh, the storyline the storyline issue with Ole Anderson years earlier. Uh, Ric Flair no-showed an event because he went to see his son wrestle in a tournament, and this was a legitimate legitimate thing that was going on. And, uh, Eric Bischoff actually sued Ric Flair for breach of contract, and it was apparently just a big legal mess. Uh, so Flair was gone for quite a few months. During that time, uh, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Steve McMichael were all pretty much begging Arn Anderson, you know, get the get the Horsemen back together. You know, the NWO and Eric Bischoff are just, you know, doing just running roughshod over WCW and things like that. Um, so a few months later, Flair actually uh, apparently the issues worked out. Flair came back. Uh, they did reform the Horsemen with uh, Flair, Benoit, McMichael, and Dean Malenko as the newest member. Uh, I, I really like this group. Um, you know, McMichael I never saw as a Horseman. I just didn't think he quite fit the mold, but I like Steve McMichael. I'm from Chicago. I love the Bears. I love Steve McMichael. So, so you know, I was willing to deal with it. But, uh, yeah, I definitely like the addition of Benoit and Malenko. Uh, I love the two of them as a tag team. I think they work phenomenally together. Uh, and I, I just I thought it was a good group. Uh, of course, they feuded with the NWO and Bischoff. Uh, Ric Flair won uh, a match against Bischoff and made, which made him the uh, president of WCW for uh, for 90 days. And uh, you know, of course, going into 1999, Steve McMichael actually uh, left wrestling, left WCW, and uh, while Flair was president, he actually gave the United States title to his son David and basically used Benoit and Malenko to help him keep the title uh, during his matches and stuff, which, of course, they got they got tired of it and basically, you know, said we're done. And that was, uh, that was pretty much the end of the official Four Horsemen. Um, you know, not, not the best of endings. They just kind of faded away. Uh, you know, the, the last two just kind of walked away, Benoit Malenko. And, uh, that was, that was pretty much that. Um, after WWE purchased WCW, there was never really an attempt to reform the horsemen. Uh, of course there were groups that, uh, obviously were inspired by the horsemen. Uh, one of them in, uh, in 2000 was called Team Package, which was Flair and Luger, um, you know, that was kind of short-lived. Flair in uh, 2001 formed a group called Magnificent Seven, which was, uh, of course, Ric Flair, Steiner Brothers, Jeff Jarrett, Lex Luger, Buff Bagwell, and Road Warrior Animal. Um, and then, uh, of course, in WWE in 2003, probably the closest that uh, we've ever had to seeing an official Four Horsemen in WWE was Evolution, which, of course, was Triple H, uh, Randy Orton, Batista, and Ric Flair. Uh, arguably one of the more popular and powerful groups, factions in WWE history. Uh, definitely one of my my favorites. Um, 
And then, of course, when Ric Flair moved on to TNA in 2010, he formed a group called Fortune. Um, and this was Ric Flair, AJ Styles, uh, Desmond Wolf, who was uh, Nigel McGuinness, uh, Beer Money, Bobby Roode and James Storm, Frankie Kazarian, Doug Williams, Matt Morgan, Rob Terry, and Christopher Daniels. So there was more than four guys, but it was... Uh, you know, obviously based on the horsemen because it was Fortune when they originally started, F-O-U-R. Uh, then they just changed it to the, uh, the standard spelling of the word Fortune. Um, this was another group that I thought was great. Um, you know, they had the, the big, strong guys with Matt Morgan and Rob Terry. You had the, uh, the Matt technicians with uh, Nigel McGinnis and Doug Williams. You had a, a fantastic tag team in Beer Money. Then you had the, uh, the high-flying X-Division guys in AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Frankie Kazarian. Uh, and then, of course, Ric Flair in, in the lead. I mean, this on paper, this is a group that could have just run roughshod over TNA, which they did for, for a little while, but it still wasn't, uh, wasn't quite the same. Then, of course, uh, here recently we've got a couple of different groups who call themselves the Four Horse Women. Um, uh, you've got the Four Horse Women of NXT, which is Charlotte Flair, Rick's daughter, Bailey, Becky Lynch, and Sasha Banks. Um, you know, and they're they're kind of the ones who uh, they didn't start the the women's revolution, so to speak, but they I think pretty much personified it because they were some of the first ones to really go out there and prove like, hey, we can we can go just as hard and just as good as any guy on this roster. And they, they went out there and they proved it. And they, you know, they were the first ones to get pay-per-view main events uh, as far as like NXT takeovers and things like that. Uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks have had some of the greatest matches that I personally have ever seen. And I'm not just talking women's matches. I'm talking matches in general. So, you know, um, and obviously Charlotte Flair uh, is part of the group. Uh, Ric Flair's daughter, she is right now the best female wrestler in the world as far as I'm concerned. You know, I defy anybody to show me somebody better. Uh, so, and then, then uh, we've got the four horsewomen of MMA, who are actually now all under contract to WWE, which are Ronda Rousey, Shayna Baszler, um, Jasmine Duke, and Marina Shafir. Uh, of course, Ronda Rousey is on Raw. Shayna Baszler is the NXT Women's Champion, and uh, Duke and Shafir are uh, right now at the Performance Center, which I'm sure they'll be getting getting called up to uh, NXT sometime soon. I mean, I can't, uh, you know, they're both professional MMA fighters. I can't see them needing too much training, probably more polishing than anything else. Uh, and, you know, I am I know everybody's been kind of waiting with bated breath to find out when are we going to have that uh, four-on-four horsewomen versus horsewomen match with the all-women's pay-per-view coming up. Who knows? We may, you know, may see it sooner than we think. We may see it at Survivor Series. We may see it at WrestleMania. But I definitely think we're going to see it at some point, especially with uh, as much attention as being given to women's wrestling right now. Um, you know, they would be they would be crazy not to do it. And I think if Triple H has anything to say about it, it will definitely happen. Uh, so that's that's it as far as uh, the official Horseman history and. Uh, official groups throughout the last uh, decade or two since the uh, the, uh, the original Horsemen split. And uh, so now I'm going to get into uh, just kind of having a little fun here. 
uh, just doing some fantasy booking of my own. Because there are some guys on the roster right now and in the last 10 years or so that I think could make a great horseman-type faction. Um, one of them that I've been, you know, that's really kind of caught my eye right now and I think would be just an amazing grouping of guys. And if you were to bring in Ric Flair, say, as the manager in that J.J. Dillon-type role, it, <clears throat> I think the uh, I think the fans would eat it up because these are guys that the fans are solidly behind. And I just, I think... I think it would fly. I think it would be great. Um, I don't expect to see it happen. I mean, there, you know, this is just like I said, my own kind of fantasy booking. But one grouping that I think would work really well together would be Dolph Ziggler in the uh, the lead role, kind of the Ric Flair role, uh, just because you know he is the uh, veteran. I mean, he's been around WWE for so long. He's so good in the ring, so good on the mic. He's got he's got all the tools to take that spot and be that lead horse, so to speak. Um, another one I'd like to personally uh, would put in this group is Bobby Roode. Uh, of course, he was part of Team Canada in TNA at the beginning of his career. He was called the Canadian Enforcer. Um, so, you know, there is kind of that link there, uh, the little homage that he gave to uh, Arn Anderson at the beginning of his career with that, that nickname. Uh, and I just, I wish Bobby Roode would turn heel. I really do, because I and I, I know I'm not the only one. I don't like Bobby Roode as a baby face. It just doesn't seem doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem natural for him. I just think he's a natural heel. He's uh, he's just great at it. Um, you know, he's good on the mic again, great in the ring. Uh, so, and I think him and Ziggler would work really well together. I mean, they work well together as opponents. I think they work even better together as both of them uh, heels and as a team. And then the last two members of uh, this particular grouping for me would be Seamus and Cesaro, the bar. I, I mean, there's no way that those four guys could not believably do the same thing that the Horsemen did back in 88 as far as holding every title on whatever brand they're on with either, either Ziggler or Root as world champion, Ziggler or Root as the, the secondary champion, whether it be Intercontinental or U.S., and uh, the Bar as tag team champions, which they've been already several times. So, um, and I could just, uh, you know, they all they all have that uh, that arrogance, that cockiness, uh, those heel tendencies, but then they also know how to, you know, they know how to work the fans so well. So, and um, then another group that I I think would work really well. Um, it'd be a little more, um, little less experienced, but I think all these guys, uh, well, the guy in the leadership role in this particular group is, is definitely a veteran, but, uh, the other three, you know, a little bit less experienced on the main stage of WWE, but I think they would all mesh really well together and along the same lines as the, uh, the first group that I mentioned, I, they're all just great heels and, uh, you know, know how to work the crowd and know how to use those underhanded tactics and just to make people, make people, you know, laugh with them and love them for one second and then just boo them out of the building the next after, you know, doing something slimy. And um, so this, the next group would be uh, in the leadership role would be the Miz. I mean, he's already been a world champion, intercontinental champion multiple times, U.S. champion, tag champion. He's done pretty much everything there is to do in WWE. He's definitely qualified for it. Probably the best heel in WWE right now. I, I don't see any better heels in the company. 
Um, you know, maybe Brock Lesnar, but he's, I wouldn't even call him a heel. He's just, people just don't like him at this point because he's never there. But that's a whole other subject. Um, so yeah, put the Miz in that Ric Flair leadership type role. Uh, the next guy who I would call the enforcer of this group is uh, Baron Corbin. I, there was there was a while there I was not real sure about Baron Corbin. I mean I like his in-ring style, but he uh, you know wasn't seeming to get the uh, uh, the mic skills really well. But here lately, I'm, whatever he's been doing is working. Uh, especially since he took on this constable role, you know started shaving his head, changed his look, uh, and he's you know I, it fits him, and he can still get in the ring and you know do his thing, which which he's great. Like I said, I love his in-ring style. I love his finishing move. Um, so I think Corbin would definitely fit that that mold of being the enforcer of this particular group. And then the uh, the last two guys, to me, this is a no-brainer. I mean, they model themselves after two of the original horsemen, the Revival, you know, um, Dawson and Wilder. I, I mean, these guys are a throwback to teams like Tully and Arn, um, you know, and they just... And, I think they're, you know, well overdue for a uh, for a break. You know, they've they've been on the main roster for a little bit now. Uh, I understand, you know, there there were some injury issues when they first got called up, but uh, here lately, you know, they've been uh, <clears throat> they've been getting some shots against Roman, and uh, you know, had a few matches against Roman and Lashley, and you know, the fans love them. I, I would love to see them in the title picture. I'd love to see them get a title match like tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I, I would love to see them as the champions and see where they where they go with it. Um, so yeah, that, those are two groups that I think, you know, with today's roster could believably form a four horseman faction. Like I said, you, you know, if they could possibly bring in Ric Flair in a managerial type role uh, as the, uh, you know, in that J.J. Dillon spot. Um, just to add more credibility to it, I just think uh, you know. Obviously, you're you know it's kind of pulling pulling from the past, but you know you, you tweak it to fit the time. I mean, not everything that the Horsemen did back in 1987 is going to fly in 2018. But you know, I, I definitely think there's a lot there to work with. Uh, it's just something I would love to see. Um, you know, again, the Horsemen to me are the greatest faction in the history of the business, uh, bar none. And, uh, you know, another another kind of like fantasy booking that I had, and obviously this is not uh, superstars that are with the company right now. Well, a couple of them are, but uh, I I always thought it would be kind of cool to see a uh, like a UK four horsemen, so to speak. Uh, and uh, the, the guys that I thought would make such a great team would have been uh, Wade Barrett, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, and Mason Ryan with either William Regal or Fit Finley as the manager. Um, you know, I just don't know why. I just always thought the four of those guys would have worked really well together. They're all uh, from the UK, obviously. Wade Barrett is uh, English, Sheamus is Irish, Drew McIntyre Scottish, and Mason Ryan is Welsh. I just thought that was kind of cool, too, representing the, uh, the four countries of the, uh, of the UK. So, but again, half of those guys aren't in uh, WWE anymore, so it's obviously not going to happen. I just thought it would have been, you know, obviously Mason Ryan would have been the enforcer, the, you know, big heavy hitting kind of guy. Um, of course, Mason Ryan didn't uh, ever really have the, the mic skills of an Art Anderson, 
but I think he would have, you know, fit nicely with the rest of them because, of course, Barrett uh, was a good talker. Sheamus is a good talker. Drew McIntyre has become a great talker. So I just think, and, uh, you know, pairing them with either uh, Finley or uh, more likely William Regal, who is also a great talker, you know, would have kind of made up for whatever skills might have been lacking in any of these guys at that time. Because, of course, when they when all four of these guys were in the WWE at the same time, they were all very, very young. Most of them were rookies uh, around the same time. But, uh, you know, I think they could have probably worked to their advantage, too. And, of course, one last grouping here. What I thought, for me, would have been the ultimate four horsemen. Of course, uh, Ric Flair is not included in this group, but... Uh, uh, all four of these guys definitely could have been horsemen uh, in their time, and that was Bret Hart, Kurt Henning, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko. To me, um, you know, or, uh, I mean, these are the, the top four technical wrestlers in the history of business, and to have all four of them in one group would have been, uh, <laughs> I just think it would have been a sight to see. It would have been great. Because um, for me, I, I've always loved the uh, the technical wrestling side of it. I mean, I have nothing against the high flyers and things like that. I love AJ Styles and and everything like that. But you know, technical wrestling's always been my favorite. Bret Hart, uh, one of my all-time favorites. And uh, you know, Henning Benoit Malenko, like I said, you know, I just think that would have been a ridiculous grouping of four guys uh, as as a team. But again, you know, not meant to be. Just kind of some fantasy booking here. So. That's pretty much all I've got for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the little uh, walk down memory lane with the four horsemen. You know what? Uh, what do you guys think? Who who would have made a good horseman? Who would make a good horseman faction today? You know, do you do you like my ideas? Do you hate them? Would you switch it up a little bit? Maybe instead of Ziggler Root in the bar, you'd rather see Ziggler Root in the revival. Um, you know, but uh, let me know what you think. Leave me uh, any kind of comments, questions, anything like that, feel free. Again, make sure you're following the show on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Uh, search Catch Hook Shoot. You'll be able to find it. You can find the podcast on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, YouTube. Anywhere you get a podcast, you, you should be able to find us. Like I said, search Catch Hook Shoot. And if you ever want to drop me an email, it's catchhookshoot at gmail.com. So I will sign off for this week. Thank you to everybody for checking out the show. And I will see you guys soon.